Welcome to the Transformational Truth Podcast, where we're committed to eliminating the obstacles that take the joy out of life and leadership. Hey, everybody. Earlier this week, you got to hear from Dr. Lynn Hiles as we tackled Transformational Truth number six. Well, recently we had Dr. Hiles here at Life Church International, which happens to be the church that I get to serve as lead pastor. Dr. Hiles and I sat down with some of our staff and leaders for a powerful conversation about understanding the importance of building our lives on a new covenant foundation. Listen, if you enjoyed our last podcast, you are going to love this bonus episode. You're going to pull a lot of transformational truth from this conversation. So grab a pad and ink pen, and let's go ahead and jump into it. Let me tell you about Dr. House just for a moment before we get into the rest of tonight. I promise you, you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat. Listen to me. You didn't know when you left your house tonight what you were walking into. You are in for a treat. You're going to experience some of the greatest mind-renewing moments tonight of the Holy Spirit just ministering to you from this side of the cross. Dr. Hiles... um, I had discovered in our regular phone calls, uh, he's an extremely intelligent guy, but do you know what I really love about him? Not just the fact he's an intelligent guy, his humility. He's one of the most humble men I've ever met. He doesn't present truth arrogantly or cocky. He, He actually is quite open to, and he's always learning, which I admire. Uh, and he is, he is an expert in his field. Um, he didn't ask me to say anything that I'm about to say, and I don't get any royalties. So I'm just going to tell you, Dr. Lynn Hiles is one of the, not just the nation's, but world's most sought after voices for understanding the new covenant and the finished work of Jesus. He has been called upon by both um, influential pastors that you would know if I said their name, as well as presidents of our country for wisdom and advice and understanding the gospel. Uh, Dr. Hiles, uh, we were at dinner and, and when we talk, we talk about Christ. When we talk, we talk about this message. It, it actually just, it oozes from him in a way that inspires me and wants me to be a better pastor. And I wanted you to be exposed to Dr. Hiles. I believe in the law of exposure. And I believe when you get exposed to these things, when you get exposed to different, uh, uh, unique anointings in the body of Christ and gifts in the body of Christ, it helps us all come up a little bit higher in the sense of learning and renewing our mind. And tonight, you're just, you're just in for a treat. Dr. Howes is a family man, and he, he can't stop. To, he either talks about Jesus or his family. He either talks about Jesus or his family, and he's just one of the most real people you're ever going to meet in your life. Dr. Hiles um, has authored multiple books. He's been published multiple times. He's taught at the doctorate's level in universities, Um, he's brought a couple of books with him. Both of these I have read. I asked him to bring these books with him, uh, from, from law to grace, a kingdom paradigm shift, in my opinion, is like a foundational fundamental book for understanding the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
um, and understanding uh, your identity in Christ, the unforced rhythms of grace. Absolutely, this is just an incredible. I mean, it's absolutely incredible material. Um, read through these books and actually had the opportunity to work through that book with Dr. Hiles on a uh, weekly basis. We would call and work through it uh, together, and so it's just uh, incredible. So, I want to um, welcome Dr. Lynn Hiles here and welcome you to an evening of of transformational truth. Can you welcome Dr. Lynn Hiles tonight to the? to the house. Um, we're, we're going to, Dr. House, if it's okay, just work through some questions and see where the spirit kind of leads us tonight. Oh, by the way, he's, he's Dr. I told him this at dinner. I said, Dr. House, it's not just the fact that, that, that you have great theology, but it's the fact that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that about this man. He, he'll, he'll espouse a new covenant truth and then turn around and give you a prophetic word. Hallelujah. So anything's, anything's possible. Anything's possible tonight. So we're just going to kind of work through some questions tonight and let the Holy Spirit lead us. In fact, can we just pause right now and invite him into this moment? Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather tonight. And Lord, we thank you tonight for the gift um, in the body of Christ that came in the form of a guy named Dr. Lynn Hiles. Um, According to Ephesians 4, you give apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry that we may grow into full maturity as we gain new revelation of Jesus. And tonight, my prayer for everyone here, every leader here, uh, is that every heart and mind would be ready just to be blessed and receive the gift of God tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um. Dr. Uh, Hiles, um, I, was, I was born again in a, in a very holiness Pentecostal background. My wife and I both. We were saved in, in holiness. We were saved in Pentecost and, um, and learned many good things from it. And I'm grateful for that heritage. But there are some pitfalls to that that I've discovered. Richard, Richard Foster, modern-day theologian, said that in the holiness stream, there are a few pitfalls we all need to be aware of. And he said one of three of those, he, he named three. He said um, perfectionism, um, works righteousness, trying to earn something, um, legalism. When I read that, I wept because I could relate to all three. I never had a pastor, I never had a leader come out and say those, those things. But it was implied. It was always implied. And one of the things that I'm burdened with in my heart right now is this. I see a lack of identity in the eyes and in the hearts of so many people who call on the name of Jesus. I see men and women who love the Lord but have no idea who they are in Christ. And this lack of identity, I see people wrestling with guilt. I see people wrestling with condemnation, even though the Bible says there is no condemnation. I see people wrestling with um, shame. I see people wrestling with, I mean, this all of their past, feeling like, and here's the number one thing, people don't feel like they are enough. Can anybody relate to that? Never sure if you're enough. And then when we don't think we're enough, we spiritualize it. As if to say you should be rewarded for thinking bad about yourself because we don't have identity. Here's my question, 
that maybe you can help us work through tonight. How does viewing life through an old covenant lens rob us of identity? Well, I think, you know, going back in, I have very similar history. You and I have talked. I, I tell people I was raised in classical Pentecost under terrorist preachers. <laughs> <laughs> and I might ought to clarify, since I have been with some world leaders, that I don't mean the kind of strap a bomb to you and walk in a room. I'm talking about the kind of guys that scare you to death every time you walk in church. And I would yeah. get saved as a young man every week and sometimes give them a midweek courtesy dip, I called it, because they'd talk <laughs> you out of your salvation. And they'd sing, we're going to sing the first and last stanza of Just As I Am with one plea. And 37 stanzas later, you know, if you don't come, they're going to come get you, you know. So I think I better get saved soon or they're going to close the beat. Pizza Hut, you know, so <laughs> I'm just having fun with you. But in those days, it wasn't so funny then because what would happen is, you know, what you were just, so many things just, just start churning in my spirit when you're talking. Because the scripture says, the law is not of faith. As a matter of fact, the law shuts up faith. Galatians 3 said, until, the, until faith came, we were shut up under, and it, it shuts up faith. Because what the law does is it tells you what you're not. Mm. And it, in other words, I, 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 let me just give you this example. People would say, and I grew up, like I said, in, I, in the beginning stages preached what I would call a mixture of a message because most preachers even are in ministry before they ever realize the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. Right. It is not Jesus plus the law. It's a brand new covenant. And God operates on the basis of whatever covenant he's in with us. And so, you know, uh, people would come to me and say, well, what do you all believe up at that church? I'd say, well, we don't believe, you know, women should cut their hair. Because I came from an era way back, you know, with a right. lot of legalistic Pentecost. We don't believe that men should wear short sleeve shirts. We don't believe you should wear makeup if you're one. We don't believe in sports. We don't believe you should wear shorts. We don't believe in this. And I, I, I'm does, any, does anybody remember those days? Okay. I, I could, I, Is I could anybody really glad do, we're not in those? Yeah. I, I can remember them days when they say, you want me to name sin. Ah. Then you got to hack when you do that. Yeah, right. Scary, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to name it tonight. Ah. You know, some of you women came in here with makeup on your Jezebel face. <laughs> Head levelers <laughs> on your head and a television set up television. in your living room. <laughs> what? We preach again to television set. Now I'm on it five times a week. We've come a long way. <laughs> Found out my preacher, my pastor, was a closet television watcher on top of it. I had one in his closet. <clears throat> but while I'm sitting there saying, you know, they'd ask me, what do you all believe? Well, we don't believe. You should watch TV. We, we, we were so legalistic that it was a sin to take physical education in high school because you had to wear shorts to do it. I'm thinking, as a young man, I'm thinking, this God must be serious about fashion. <laughs> I mean, if he's going to burn you for 60 billion years in hell over an outfit, and then you're no closer than you was at the beginning mm. over an outfit, is this really a God I'm interested in? Come you on. Know? But we were afraid of him, in other words. So, so what, you know, in other words, I, I, we, we think about these things and don't realize the impact they're making on people, how they perceive God. And so I think we're really representing him. 
the way he needs to be represented. Mm. You know, what was it? I know this is, you know, kind of could be taken a lot of different ways, but Isaiah said his visage was marred more than any other man and more than, and his form more than the sons of men so that when you see him, there's no beauty that you would desire him. And I know that was talking about his passion and his crucifixion, but as well, I think he's been so misrepresented Mm. by religion that when the world sees him, there's no beauty that they would desire him. But the Song of Solomon says, but he is altogether lovely. And so I think what's happening is, is that, you know, the woman in the Song of Solomon, as she begins to describe him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, her description of him is so multifaceted and it's so profound, even the typology of what she uses. But I won't go into that except to say, when she comes to the end of that, she says, he's altogether lovely. And they said, where is your beloved that we may seek him with thee? And I want to represent Christ in such a lovely, wonderful way mm. that people say, where is he? I want to seek him with you. But what I believe the identity problem flows clear back to when the law was preached, it shuts up faith. Because while I was standing there telling that person one time, well, they said, well, what do y'all believe at that church? Well, we don't believe. Right. You should take this. We don't believe. We don't believe. Yeah, we right. don't believe. We don't believe. And I, I, as I'm telling them this, I'm realizing, wait a minute. I have sat in church my whole life and became an unbeliever <laughs> because they never taught me anything to believe. As a matter of fact, they so robbed me of faith that I wasn't even sure I was saved from week to week. Mm. It was so volatile that I could, you know, I thought if I had one, I, I, I prayed for a woman in a hospital. This is the stuff that makes me passionate about what I preach. She was an older woman, been faithful to church her whole life, never missed a service. And so I went to visit her. She's in her final moments. And she looks at me. She says, she said, Brother Howe, she said, pray for me that in my final moments, I don't have an evil thought in Miss Heaven. And I thought to myself, if 50, 60 years in church has brought you to that conclusion, there's something wrong with what we preach. Come on. She should have high-fived me, said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I'm about to storm the gates of glory, you know. Because the basis upon which I'm saved is not on the basis of how good I am. It's on the basis of how good he is. Mm. And so, you know, it, it began to challenge my thinking that what we're preaching actually began to deteriorate my identity. And so as a young man studying in this, I thought to myself, when I got in my teenage years, and probably many of you can identify with this, I thought, I love this God, but I don't think he loves me. Mm -hmm. Because every time I go in there telling me how mad he is and how disgusted he is and how, how pitiful of a failure I am, and I knew I was failing, you know. Yeah. And as I look back at it now, the stuff that they were talking about, sin, is not, you know, not, it wasn't even in the Bible. I mean, we, we, we send people to hell for stuff we wouldn't even send them to jail for. I think about that. Come on. I mean, we preached against devil food cake when I was growing up. I mean, devil food cake. Yeah, you could eat angel food, but you could eat devil food cake. Deviled ham, deviled eggs, none of that, you know. Till Jesus made the first batch of deviled ham that was ever made when he cast him demons into that pig. <laughs> now, that, I just had to go there just to keep you on your toes. So. That was deviled ham, Hallett. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, you know, uh, it, 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 we send people to hell for stuff we wouldn't send them to jail for in yeah. America. And it was stuff that wasn't even in the scriptures, even right. if we would have. We picked and choose That's right. the parts of the law that fit our culture, and we called that the gospel. Mm. We would preach the text as I would get up and, and think, uh, you know, women don't dress in men's apparel. 
And I thought, wonder where they got a text to preach that from. Because, I mean, it was especially hard on the women. I almost feel like I need to apologize to women as I've gotten older in the ministry for how the abuses that they've taken, I mean, it has robbed them of their looks. Oh, yeah. Of their self-esteem and their value in any way. Uh, let me, I, I'll chase too many rabbits here. But, uh, you know, what I, what I began to realize was that they would pick and choose. Like, for instance, I, so I went to the book. I call it the book of Deuteronomy because it's more about what you Deuteronomy than what you Deuteronomy, you know. <laughs> and I found the text in, in the law. Women don't dress in men's apparel. But the very next verse, I believe it is, says don't mingle your thread in a garment with diverse kinds of thread. So I never heard anybody ever preach against a polyester wool blend. <laughs> you know, or polyester rayon. But see, it's in, it's in there, you know. I never heard him ever preach from a text. Right. Don't mingle your, your seed in a field with diverse kinds of seed. In other words, if you mix corn and potatoes and, you know, mm. colored greens, it was, according to the book of Deuteronomy, a sin mm. to mingle the seed in the field. You couldn't eat a pork chop. Or even touch a pig. It was an unclean animal. That's why the story right. of the prodigal son was so vile to what would be a Jewish bystander for that young man to be feeding pigs. That, you don't even touch a pig. That, that means you can't even play football because it's a pig skin, you know. Mm -hmm. and what I'm saying is, and there are people probably sitting in here right now with sausage on your breath right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you never heard anybody ever preach against a pork chop. Right. I was thinking while you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, if I get talking too long, just interrupt me here and I'll, I'll let you get. But, I will. But a, a, a bishop of a major organization called me and he'd been watching me on TV and uh, major organization, Real Holiness. And he said, Dr. Howes, he said, I've been listening to your stuff. He said, uh, I believe I taught my people wrong. Mm -hmm. He said, would you come down here and help me, uh, help me straighten this mess out? I said, yeah, Bishop, I would. I have to really admire this guy. He got up in, in one of their major conferences, and he said, listen, I did the best I could with what I knew. And let me say that in respect and That's honor right. to right. other leaders that are preaching what they know. They can only preach what they know and what they've heard. But when the revelation of this thing comes, and I'm going to give you just fair warning right now, once you see this, you can't unsee it. Come on. And once you see the new covenant, you will never go back. That's right. But he got up and told his whole congregation, he said, listen, he said, you know, I did what I, I thought was right, and I preached what I thought, what I was taught. He said, but in light of the new covenant, I want to apologize to you. And he said, I want to tell you that I'm endorsing what this guy is saying. And so he told me, he said, I had a guy come in here and preach against pork chops. He said, he came in. I mean, he, he preached the law so strong, he preached against pork chop. He said, no I took him chops. down here. It was in... Jackson, Mississippi, I'm almost telling who it is, but he was in Jackson, Mississippi. He said, I took this guy out to eat. We went to the catfish buffet. He said, this dude ate every catfish on that buffet. I said, well, you know, the same text that tells you that it's a sin to eat a pork chop tells you that the catfish is the pig of the pond. You ain't supposed to eat an unclean animal like that. It don't have scales and fins. But see, the, what we did was we picked and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture, and we called that the gospel. That's right. That's not the gospel. That's right. It's, 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 it's the mixture uh, even if you mix the pieces of it and you throw in a little new covenant nuance here. In other words, uh, uh, but what it does is it starts, to, it starts to alienate you to the point where you realize, hey, listen, mm -hmm. if I can't keep the Big Ten, I don't know about the 600 and some others. Right. But what it does is what, what, uh, what the, the thing that steals your identity, it is a, an identity thief because it tells you who the law is designed to tell you who you are in Adam and what's wrong with you. 
Mm. And the new covenant preaches who you are in Christ and in the new creation. Mm. The old covenant will modify the behavior of an old man, and the new covenant will mature and develop a new creation. Mm. And the Lord said to me a number of years ago, you've got to decide who you're going to preach to. You're going to preach to Adam or you're going to preach to Christ. And if you're going to preach to the old man, you're going to have to have sin management programs. And you're going to have to have sin management, all kinds of, you're going to have to hire all kinds of church sheriffs. And you're going to have to watch. And then you're going to get to the place where you can't even have friends because they're afraid you're going to find out you're human. And then you're going to, this, this thing is going to so rob you until you get to the point where you don't know who you are. You don't know if you're saved. You don't know if you're a son or not a son. You Come don't on. know if you're on your way to heaven, not on your way to heaven. Come he on. loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. I hope I die on. He loves me. And then you get in this repetitive cycle and I'm, I'm going to throw it back to you here in just a minute. And when I got in my teenage years, I thought, I love this God, but he don't love me. Mm-hmm. And so I, if I, since I'm going to go, and this is I, how many casualties I think there is to this. And people who are not in church anymore because of this. Many of the friends I grew up with. Yeah. And, 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 and I, 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 so I got to the place I thought, I love God. He don't love me. I'm, I'm going to no doubt probably. I can't get over this little stuff that they're talking about. I'm never going to get over They have no clue the big stuff I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to go to hell, at least I'm going to enjoy the ride. Yeah, yeah. And that was my thinking in my teenage years, and I walked away from God. I thought I walked away from God. Right, right. I thought I walked, but see, he, he, he pursued me mm. just like he did Adam. Thank you, Jesus. See, we say, well, if you sin, God will leave you. He didn't leave Adam. He, he, he chased Adam down. Adam, where are you? Come on. Because God refuses to live without you. He thinks you're to die for. Did y'all just hear what he just said? <laughs> he refuses to live without you. I can't tell you how many times I heard people talk about God turning his back and God turning his back on you and miss the point that the yep. moment Adam sinned, God came looking yes, for him. Did. And began immediately to bring remedy. Yeah. But what I started to do, once I left the thing, you know, like left church, thought I left God, really what I was doing was just trying to survive because you can only take that kind of abuse for so long. And I wonder how many psychological problems are oh, a result man. of that. How many people never darken a church door again until they're in their 80s or 90s? They got one foot, you know, ready to die. And they're because what they've heard robbed them of their life. And they missed the whole, the whole point of the gospel is not just to get you to heaven, it's to give you the abundant life. And just to, you know, I don't talk a lot, a lot of this personal stuff, but I'm going to say a few things here. And when I got in, then I started to, I, I, when I left church, there was such a need in me to be accepted, mm-hmm. that I went to whatever group would accept me. Right. And in that case, it was the hippies and the, you know, the long haired. Were you a hippie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Used to grow weed. <laughs> I knew it. Hallelujah. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. I'm hey, glad, we're, I'm hey. glad this is not live stream. I can't see you off of the lights. I hope I'm not shocking you too bad. But what happened was I didn't do the drugs because I wanted to do drugs. I did the drugs as I look back at it now because I wanted to be accepted. Yeah. So I did the drugs until the drugs did me. And it's now my brother works with a group called Life for Drugs now. And it's, you know, a lot of people, we work with a lot of different rehab groups. But what what I started, they would say, here's what they would say in rehabs. Uh, Your problem with drug addiction, one of the things that empowers your addiction is a lack of self-esteem. And I'm thinking, where'd I get that at? I got that sitting in church, them tell me what a dirtbag I was. And I always felt like such a failure that, that, that I thought, well, 
I, you know, to, I, I had felt like I had to be the wildest and the craziest just to be accepted. And so, you know, what, let me just say this. I think it'll help a lot of people, especially leaders, is that that's a fairly good, uh, you know, answer as far as self-esteem, but that's what the best the world has to offer. It's really a mistaken identity. Mm. Adam became the first victim of identity theft. Mm. When the devil said, in the moment that you get enough information about good and evil, you can make yourself like God. And he should have turned around and said to the devil, I'm already like God, get out of my face. But he believed the lie that he had to do something in order to be like he already was. And the finished work brings you back to the revelation of what's already true of you so you can live out of your new identity. So he became the first victim of identity theft. So I started seeing this stuff on a practical level that it empowers. And I started looking around the room of all these addicts and people we were visiting in prisons and jails and realized, wait a minute, these are people that have been to our church. They're pastors' sons. They're pastors', they're pastors wives. They're, in, you know, in this kind of, yeah. of thing. And uh, many of them secret and just so oppressed and, and full of guilt and condemnation, no way seemingly to get out of it. And so I, I, the Lord said to me, it's better, it's bigger than a self-esteem issue. Mm -hmm. It's a mistaken identity. Mm -hmm. But what happened was once I got away from that, came back into the things of God, it was still a lot of legalism. What was driving my addiction began to drive me in ministry. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if I could preach for this guy, I would finally feel like I've made it. Hold on, pause right there. Yeah. I want to make sure everyone got that. What drove him in addiction outside of, quote unquote, walking with Christ, he traded one addiction for another. That's it. Still looking for identity. Still Accepted. looking for identity, but in the form of religious activity. Yep. And so I would, you know, I, I, I would strive to, and I would preach for that guy. And then I would think, I need to preach for that guy. Yeah. And then I'd preach for that guy. Yeah. I think this ain't enough. I need to preach for this guy. Right. And I was getting affirmation and acceptance by mm -hmm. my striving and my performance again. And I'll never forget, and I'm not saying this to drop names, but this was a turning point for me in ministry especially, was I preached for Bishop Eddie Long before he passed here in Atlanta. And one of his uh, um, one of his conferences, along with Coretta Scott King and a bunch of guys, I won't say, I don't need to drop the names, but I was I, when I walked out on that platform that night. There's thousands of preachers there, and I got to say, it's a rush to preach to a crowd that that big, especially mm -hmm. people shouting to a message that's pretty new, relatively new as far as grace is concerned. But when I walked out on that platform, the Lord said to me, "Son, if 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 you're getting your affirmation from men." It will never get any bigger than this. But if you're satisfied with my approval, you will never have to struggle with your identity again. And so you may see me preach on a platform with thousands, and you may see me the next week preaching for a guy that's got 20 people because I'm not defined, nor do I feel any less to preach because I'm not getting my identity by what they feel about me. Right. And the Lord, I, I preached a classic message titled, The Approval of a Father Will Always Empower a Son, and it's from where... God said over Jesus, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he said that before he'd ever raised the dead, yep. before he'd ever been tested in the wilderness, before he'd ever done anything. He said, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And when you realize that you're accepted in the beloved, 
Mm. and that you're accepted, not on the basis of how good you are, did you cross all your T's, dot all your I's, do you have world influence? There's a sense of rest and satisfaction that came over me that's mm. just, there's a peace that comes. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a life that flows out of that new identity. Yeah. And so what, what happens is, is there's a lot of pastors, even in leaders, that are addicted to the same thing that drove that kind of addiction. We just have different kinds of addiction. I mean, people turn to different things for some kind of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. e either acceptance or consoling or whatever. And when you start to realize the groan of creation and why they do what they do, and then you realize, wait a minute, this wrong message we've preached has been part of the problem rather than the answer. Mm. Because the gospel, the real gospel will give you back your life. Mm. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk all night if you don't, you know, if you don't stop me and ask me another question. Mm. But that's hopefully that that's, that's kind of you know that's uh, so good. I mean, I think identity. The key is is that in in you know, I think you have to keep hearing it over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I will. I, and, and don't correct me if if you think that I'm wrong. I I, I think isn't that the emphasis of, of the author of Hebrews? Do not forsake the assembling. Keep getting together. Keep encouraging one another. In what? This message. Because there will always be a temptation to go back to what was. I think, I think that's the, that was what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. He, said it, he didn't say it was a sickness from Satan, and he didn't say it was a temptation from Satan. He said it was a messenger. What would keep a, a guy like Paul who preaches the new covenant more humble than the temptation to always go back to legalism? And um, so I think that's why this mess. So listen, the, the old covenant will rob us if we don't understand it properly. Follow-up question. Here's the follow-up question. How does understanding the finished work of Christ on the cross help us gain our identity, help us find our security, um, and heal our insecurities? And what does it mean to be the righteousness of God? I mean, that, that's a phrase that in church, you, when I was a kid, I would hear people talk about righteousness. I'm like, what? What does that even mean? I don't know if I understood it. I think there's grown people. I think there's adults that really aren't sure. What does that mean to be the righteousness of God? And how does that benefit? Because I've discovered in my own journey with understanding the right message, this message, I've discovered that knowing this is a mind-renewing moment that won't, will not allow me to go back. I mean, finding my identity as the righteousness of God in Christ. Can you speak to that? What does that mean? How does discovering this new covenant give me the right identity. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, first of all, you know, it, the Scripture tells us Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. He didn't just come just to redeem us from sin. He came to redeem us from the curse of the law. That's mm -hmm. one of the things we're, that's not preached very much. Right. So we're not under a curse under any shape, fashion, or form. But that was one of the things that really began to catapult me into coming into the new covenant was when I was, just a few things. First of all, the finished work of the cross to me is not substitutionary in the sense that he died so I don't have to. He didn't die so I don't have to. He died because I had to. Mm. And somebody said, well, he didn't die to get, he died to give me life. No, he didn't die to give me life. He died to give me a death. He rose from the dead to give me a life. Speak to that for a moment. And so what wait, I... What, wait, wait, he died to give you a death. He died to give you a death. And that's, I think that's a piece that's missing somewhat yeah, from, yeah. from the grace message is that, uh, that, you know, in other words, 
what Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. His death, I think we mistakenly preach the death of Jesus as the death of only one man when in fact it was the death of all men. In other words, he was the vehicle by which God would take an entire old creation down into death and then give birth to a brand new, new creation. And man, I could really spit off here on some revelation, that, <laughs> but I'm going to try to stay focused here. But the, uh, uh, he, he literally, uh, the, a powerful Old Testament picture. And see, even when we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament, if you use it properly, is, is Jesus concealed. Right. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. Right. So the patterns of the Old Testament are God showing you his redemptive purposes in symbolism because he knows we need a language to understand this stuff. And the way I like to preach it is when they left Egypt, when God got ready to deliver them from Egypt. And, and, and let me say this. Egypt to me, I used to think of Egypt as just the world, and it can include the world. But a powerful scripture really made me think about it different. And it was in Revelation 11 where he said, in their dead bodies, talking about the two witnesses. You asked me a little bit about this a little mm -hmm, while ago. Mm -hmm. Talking about the two witnesses. I believe it symbolizes the law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah mm -hmm. will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where mm -hmm. also our Lord was crucified. Well, I've preached that for years and it never dawned on me our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Mm. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit takes his finger and says, you think that's Egypt, but I want to show you what spiritual Egypt is. I want to tell you the spiritual Egypt is the centerpiece of Judaism, the Old Covenant. And the bondage I'm leading you out of right now is the bondage from an old covenant slave mentality into a sonship mentality. Because in the old covenant, you were servants. In the new covenant, you're sons. And if you're sons, then you're heirs. That's, that's identity again. Mm. And so the, there's, a whole, there's a whole exodus motif all through the scriptures. And, and, and even in the New Testament, there's a, an exodus motif. It's not an accident that Moses and Elijah meet with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Bible said they speak to him of his decease. The Greek word for decease there is exodus. Hmm. So here's the leader of the first exodus talking to Jesus, who's the leader of the real exodus. And he's saying, you brought him out of a physical bondage, but I'm only, I feel the preacher sneaking up on me, but I'm going to lead him out of a spiritual bondage of legalism and law and old covenant. And that's really still where we're at is, is we're headed out and, and not out of a physical piece of real estate, but out of the bondage of an old covenant paradigm and into the promised land of rest, Hebrews 4, rest in the new covenant. The promised land in the new covenant is not heaven. It's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Read Hebrews 4. The, 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 okay, two things. So, number one, I'm, I can't get this picture out of my head now. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration talking to Moses. Moses led them out of physical captivity, but, the, but Jesus is there leading them into a different exodus out of... Yeah. Okay. Let me go there some more. Well, man, that's... Hold on. I'm getting my sermon series together yeah. now for next month. So, no. So, okay. Go ahead. See, everything that Jesus does in his redemptive work, uh -huh. he starts out by John the Baptist saying, right there's the real lamb of God. You thought that was the lamb. That ain't the lamb. This is the real lamb. Uh -huh. But here's the pattern I was after to show you that even when they left Egypt, you see, when they left, God said, I'm going to deliver you from 400 years of slavery and bondage. Moses said, what's the strategy? He said, you need to get a lamb and put blood on the doorpost and then take the lamb inside the house. Right. Roast with fire. Eat the whole lamb. Right. 
eat nothing but mutton. Uh-huh. Eat the whole thing. Uh-huh. And he said, but what we do is we mistakenly preach. We all we ever preach there is the blood. The right. blood. And I appreciate and thank God for the blood. The right. blood has right. something to say. But we never preach the lamb inside the house. Or we never, what we mistakenly do, this is it's only partly, we we mistakenly preach that the blood on the doorpost said to the theft angel, This house escapes. That's not really completely true. Uh-huh. What the blood on the doorpost said to the death angel is not that your house escaped. The blood on the doorpost said there's already been a death exacted here. The death of the lamb was the death of the firstborn. And so that's why he died not just for you. He died as you. And when you get that in your belly and you start to feed on his finished work and you realize I'm dead and my life is hid with Christ in, in God, you'll throw your feet out of bed in the morning and say, how can we de- be that are dead to sin live any longer? And everybody's worried about if you preach grace, folk are going to sin. Mm-hmm. If they realize who they are, they'll throw their feet out of bed in the morning and say, I'm my son. I've, I've got a new nature inside of me. It's not my nature to sin anymore. And that's why we, even when you go back and try to test the waters of freedom, sin ain't as fun as it used to be because it's not your nature to sin anymore. It violates your nature to do it. Come on. And so what, what we mistakenly preach is that the blood on the doorpost said to the death angel, There's a, this house escapes. It didn't say this house escapes. It said the, the blood on the doorpost said there's already been a death exacted here. His death was my death. And the cross that I pick up and carry is not I got to die over and over and over again. What, that, what The cross I pick up and said, that death was my death. And since that was my death, I am no longer in Adam. I went down into the waters of baptism and I've been raised into life as a new creation. And this is my new identity and I can't live any longer. And what happens, you get enough lamb in your belly and you can't at midnight, at midnight, they were in Egypt. That's right. And they rose up at midnight and said, I can't live in this bondage anymore. Let me tell you, that's what's happening with the message of grace in the new covenant is people are getting enough lamb in their belly and they're saying, I can't live in this bondage anymore. I can't live in religious bondage and I can't live in worldly bondage. I'm not giving place to either one of them that's if right. you understand that's where right. I'm coming that's from. That's right. That's right. But let me just show you some patterns again. They left Egypt delivered by the blood. They come out into the wilderness and God's not finished with them. Then he brings them through the Red Sea. So now they've been blood-bought, and then the writer of the New Covenant says they were baptized into the sea, so they're blood-bought and water-baptized. And then exactly 50 days after they leave Egypt, delivered by the blood, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And exactly, exactly 50 days later, God wants to offer them a renewed covenant from Abraham. He did not, God did not want to give them the That's law right. of Moses That's to start right. out with. That was a secondary thing because the people did not want the the kind of a covenant. They didn't want a renewed Abrahamic covenant. God wanted to make a whole kingdom of priests. I'm chasing too many rabbits here. God wanted to have personal relationship with them. Right. He wanted to call them all up the mountain. They're going to be to me a kingdom of priests. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. I can see God excited about this. And on the only, the basis of the Abrahamic covenant was Abraham believed God. It was counted to him That's it. for righteousness because righteousness is on the basis of do you believe in the new covenant? You're not righteous because you crossed all your T's, dotted all your I's. It's, it's because of the abundance of grace and the gift, gift of righteousness. Right. You didn't earn it. What part of gift don't we understand? Right. It's the gift of righteousness. We reign not when we get to heaven. We reign in life. In other words, the real gospel will give you back your life. You about to have the ride of your life. <laughs> mm. You have no idea the privilege you have that you've got a new covenant preacher sitting right here that's going to give you back your life. Mm. 
And your life is going to get so enticing that people are going to say, I want a life just like this. The life becomes the life. And people say, I want a life like that one because the, 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 the religion has stolen people's joy, their fun, their peace, their looks, their kids, their money. That's right. And all of a sudden now we're starting to come back and realize, wait a minute, this is not about living in misery most of your life. This is about living the abundant life. I came that you might not have a ticket to heaven, but that you might have life and have it more abundantly. When he brought him out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to bring you into a land that flows, a land that flows with milk and honey, and I'm going to give you as the days of heaven on the earth. Mm. And so God brought them out and, and brought them out across the Red Sea. So their blood bought water baptized. Exactly 50 days later, God wanted to make a kingdom of priests out of them. Let everybody have access to him. When God came down on the mountain and the smoke and the fire appeared, the people said, we're afraid of him, Moses. You go talk to him and whatever he says to you, we will do it. And if we do it, it will be our righteousness. And Stop. Deuteronomy, did you, did you hear that? They said, if whatever we, he says, we will do it. Yeah. And if we do it, it will be our righteousness. Deuteronomy 5 said, God hearkened to their voice and gave them a covenant that was based not on a relationship. Now it's based on rules. Because the, the less relationship you have, Come on. the more rules you need. And so they forfeited a priestly ministry. And the moment God gave the law was exactly 50 days after Passover, exactly 50 days. God gave them the law, and 3,000 people dropped dead. Fast forward to the Come new on. covenant. Oh, I know where you're going. Lord have mercy. John the Baptist says right there is the real Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus goes through the River Jordan, water baptized. But 50 days after Jesus is crucified, exactly 50 days after Jesus is crucified, they're in an upper room, and this time God comes down in another cloud. This time he doesn't give them rules on rocks. This time he gives them the Holy Ghost so that and this will probably be one of the most important things I'm going to say tonight. So that the Holy Ghost is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. And if the Holy Ghost can't make you behave, all the rules on rocks you get ain't going to get the job done. Because here's what Paul's testimony is. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And you'd have thought he was into sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And yeah. I'm not promoting that. But I'm yeah. just saying. He no, said, no, right. Just he, growing weed. He just, he yeah. just <laughs> This will get out. It'll be just that clip, you know. <laughs> yeah. My enemies will. <laughs> now I forgot what I was going to say. I got sidetracked. Paul was chief of sinners. Oh, he was the chiefest of sinners. And then he gives his testimony. He said, here's what I was delivered of. I was born the eighth. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised the eighth day stock of Israel. Right. Of Benjamin. Right. As touching, he said, said under the feet of Gamaliel, and as touching the law, I was blameless. That's what Paul calls being the chiefest of Mark Missers, sinners. I, I need every, I need everybody to lean into that. Yeah. That's Paul. Can you just repeat that one more time, please? He said, "This is my testimony." He said, "I'm the chiefest of sinners," mm -hmm. and then he said, "This is my testimony. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm Israel of Israelites." I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised the eighth day. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and as touching the law, I was blameless. But I counted all as dung that I might win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is a product of the law, but, my own, but a righteousness that's a product of the faith of Jesus Christ. And so Paul calls that being the chiefest of sinners because here's something that's powerful. There is a way 
that seems right mm. to a man, and the end thereof are the ways of death. The way that seemed right was through the old covenant paradigm. Now, once again, I'm not telling you it's all right to sin, but I will say this to you. God is interested in dealing with your sin, not because of what it does to him, but mm. because of what it does to you. Come on. And what it does to people around it, because it robs you of a life in the kingdom. It robs you of 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 of, uh, of, of just uh, you know. In other words, it may rob you of your health, and it may rob you of all kinds of things. In other right. words, I'm not I'm not promote. I hope you can hear me today. Yeah, yeah. Feel like you got to qualify everything you no, say no, when you're, you're talking good. like this. But what when Paul was delivered of? See, the hardest. I think people. I think it's easier to get people off of drugs than it is to get them delivered from religion. <laughs> people would rather fight than quit switch and they will fight you over it yeah oh yeah, yeah. because it's that's by, i'm defined by how holy i am yeah yeah especially if i've earned a holiness that gives me a stature above yours right because i'm not like i thank god i'm not like that sinner you hear where i'm coming from come you on know? because it puts them in a status and so people fight for that but i think we may have to start some religion rehab centers come on man Hello, my name is Lynn, and I'm addicted to religion. Come on. You see what I'm saying? Because what happens is people change their addictions. But what I'm saying is when the Holy Spirit, if exactly 50 days after they left Egypt, they, they were at foot of Mount Sinai. God gave them the law. 3,000 people dropped dead in an right. upper room exactly 50 days after Jesus, the true Lamb of God, is sacrificed. They're in an upper room. God gives them the Holy Ghost, and exactly 3,000 are added to the church. Exactly. Why? Because the letter kills in the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, the Spirit gives life. And so the Holy Spirit then, see, what happens is now, they're, they, I, I, I'm telling you right now, that I heard the Lord say to me in the beginning of this year, there's going to come a fresh emphasis on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that's more than just knocking everybody on the floor, and I'm not opposed to that, or, or laying out. That's good, because we knock people down all the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, we're like, you know, I've been there too. You know, I've been into Holy Ghost parties because they don't stop. Hallelujah. <laughs> Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Come on. That's right. <laughs> Amen. So I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying there's a fresh emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit governing us. Yeah. Because those that are led by the Spirit are, are sons. Yeah. What's the contrast? What used yeah. to lead you before was law, rules. Yeah. See, people don't, people like this. Here's, here's, here's the basic concept of most American Christians. Just give me the basic rules yeah. for what it takes for me to get to heaven, you, and I'm happy. Yeah, you, do you know the scariest thing people hear me say as they're when they come to me for advice? It used, you know, there used to be it used to be a different kind of scary. You know, the scariest thing people hear me say now is, "Well, let the spirit lead you." <laughs> it's it's the scariest. You know, well, no, can't you just tell me what to do? Three years ago, I probably would have. Yeah. Um, but unless it is a clear biblical issue that I can advise you on as your pastor, I'm going to say, well, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Yeah. And it is one of the, and I watch people's eyes, Dr. Howes, you know, let the Spirit lead you. Yep. How long does that take? Yeah. You know, like, like, you mean I got to develop a relationship? Yes. <laughs> so, so you're like, how long does that take? How's that work? You know, when yeah. am I going to find that out? Yeah. I, that's why I came to you, you know? Yeah. And this idea. But you're not the Holy Ghost. But I'm not the Holy Ghost. But I think pre... Isn't that a relief? It's a great relief. I mean, it's a great relief. Listen, because pre-New Covenant understanding, there was this unspoken pressure on spiritual leadership yep. to be the Holy Ghost. Yep. To make everybody behave. Yep. And, and 
you weren't sure who it was safe to love. Yeah. Go there. I'm not the speaker. But <laughs> because under the old covenant, you would look at people in a certain sin yeah. and say, can I love them? Yeah. Because if I love them, God might stop loving. Yeah. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. New covenant, you realize he loved me while I was still a sinner. Yeah. And it doesn't say God so loved the church. Yeah. He so loved the world. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And, and when I came into the knowledge of the new covenant, that, that pride and arrogance in this religious arrogance in my spirit and my heart began to melt away. And suddenly it was safe and it was good to love everybody. Yeah. And I found out that love, not, not me trying to be the Holy Spirit, try to get everyone to behave, but instead, you know what I stopped doing, Dr. Hiles? I stopped trying to preach people into behavior modification, yep. and I started preaching to new creation. Yep. And when I started to preach to new creation, I'm watching people's eyes, like their lives are coming up. Yep. I'm seeing these lows lifted off their shoulders because they're finding out who they are. Yep. Not because of what they do, but because of what Jesus did. And it is beginning to change how they live. Yep. Before, Old covenant preaching, it didn't change how people lived. It changed how they made people think they lived. Yeah. And it wasn't heart change. No, 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 no. It was behavior. Yeah. It was, it's the difference between Romans 12 being conformed or transformed. That's it. One takes an outward set of rules and superimposes upon you and conforms you to That's a it. certain set of rules. That's it. That's conformity. That's it. Transformation is from the inside out. It's a metamorphosis. It's a, it's a working from an inward. See, we're not working for salvation. Yeah. We're working out of a salvation. That Just that revelation will change your life, the way you relate to the Father. And um, you, you touched on this a little bit, and I want to I wanna touch on it because I think it's an important point that we miss. You said it a few minutes ago. You, you mentioned rest, and rest is a concept that, that I think needs to be taught because my whole life I hear people talk about rest in the Bible. I don't know why. Like rest is always something that happens when you die, mm -hmm. physically die. Yeah. Like you always hear it at the funeral, you know. Yeah. Well, now bless the Lord, they can rest. And I, one of the things I've discovered about the Old Covenant or Mishra Covenant is this. It will always push joy down the road. Yeah. One day, yeah. I'll have joy. One day, yeah. Yeah. I'll have peace. One day. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and, that's, and that drove all your preaching too, you yeah. know. You know, we're almost there. Yeah. Six months later, we're almost there. One more valley, one more hill first. Yeah, one more valley. <laughs> It'll all be over. And, 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 but we're always, and, and, and we're always push rest. And I think, wow, how sad is this? We've been taught that you don't rest until you die. Yeah. Talk about pushing it down the road. Yeah. And that's not right. And what we've done, and so we've robbed ourselves of rest until we take our last breath. But that's not, that's not what the scripture teaches us. Uh -uh. It teaches us that I can rest today. Yeah. Can you? Talk to us about that yeah, for a minute yeah. because there are a lot of tired leaders in the yeah, kingdom. Yeah. Well, in fact, in fact, when I'm looking, because I've discovered I've got pastor friends that are exhausted. Yeah. Okay. The ones that are the most ready, how, how, how shall I say this? Because we're recording this. The ones, well, I'm just going to say it. The ones that are most ready to go into religious rehab 
are the ones that are tired. Yeah. They're exhausted. Yeah. And they're, they're ready because they know their message isn't working. Something's off with the message. They just, they've been convinced they can't rest on this, side of, uh, on this side of eternity. And when I'm looking for an opportunity to, to introduce to a friend, hey, let me, just, let me just talk to you about Jesus and the finished work of the cross. I, I look for the guys who I can see it in their eyes. They're so tired. Yeah. They're weary. Talk to us about the concept of rest after the cross. Well, the first thing I would say is that you really do rest after you die, except you died at Calvary. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Come on. So you should already be at rest. The second thing I would say, I was thinking while you were saying there is really what this, this book, Unforced Rhythms of Grace, came, the thought that came from in Matthew 11. Uh, you know, Matthew 11 talks about, he said, uh, you know, of course we, we preached it from a wrong way even in Matthew 11. He said, you know, up until John the Baptist the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Mm -hmm. But if you read that in the Message Bible, it says, up until John, all the law and the prophets prophesied, and up until then, violent men seized the kingdom by force. Mm -hmm. But that culminated with John. In other words, we're not, going, we're, not, we're not going to take the kingdom by force. You and I were talking earlier dinner about... You know, I, I cut my teeth on some guys that preached a lot about the kingdom, except they preached you accessed it through old covenant righteousness. And so nobody ever met the criteria. So we were always striving for it until we realized that righteousness is a gift. And so we would think, come on, we're going to take the kingdom by force. Come on, folks, we're going to just, you know, we, we, we had people in a lather ready to fight. And he's, but, well, what, that, what he's saying there is that culminated with John. In other words, the struggle ends in the new covenant. Yeah. And then Jesus yeah. comes in the latter part of Matthew 11. He says, are you tired? Mm -hmm. Are you weary? This is from the Message Bible. Are you burned out on religion? And man, when I read that in the Message Bible, I started to weep. Yeah. I thought, boy, this describes just exactly what, tired, weary, burned out on religion. I mean, it's like, you know, we're like, oh my God, it's Wednesday night. Again. Oh man, we got to go to church and here we are. Oh, you know, I mean, I'm, not, I'm talking about the pastor feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just tired, weary, burned out on religion. Because we know it ain't even working for us, the stuff that was preached before. Right. But Jesus says, but this is the part. He said, walk with me. Work with me. See how I do it. This is a unique father-son relationship. He said, but I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to go over it line by line with anyone who's willing to listen to me. And he goes on to say, walk with me, work with me, see how I do it, and I'll teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. So the flow that comes from the rest is, is realizing this is not up to me. It's up, there is such a peace in understanding, even as a pastor, that the Holy Ghost can do what the Holy Ghost... See, the reason pastors won't preach this is because they don't believe the Holy Ghost can do what the Holy Ghost said he can do. Yeah. And if the Holy Ghost can't transform lives, your preaching ain't going to get the job done. Mm. If the Holy Ghost can't change you and bring fruit in your life... See, and, and again, the fruit of the Spirit's exactly that. It's not manufactured fruit. It's not that plastic fruit you set on. What, what most American Christians is, is that plastic peach fuzz you know, uh, peach that looks like a real one. It looks so good you want to eat it, and you reach down, it's got plastic peach fuzz on it. There's no substance to it. I'd rather have a bug bit, you know, bruised right. peach that's got vine ripened. Right. It's got some substance to it than I would a, a, a beautiful, it looks good on Sunday on the table. Mm. 
but it doesn't have any real... See, fruit is not a result of something you manufacture. It's a result of being connected to the right root and depending on him to do what only he can do because if it, did, if it was by my might or by my power, then I, 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 did, I gave it my best effort. And until you come to the place where you tired and weary and burned out, I probably can't help you. And you know, people that want to argue about this, even new covenant, new covenant, I tell them, knock yourself out, because until you come to the end of yourself, you, you're going to... That's it. Until you realize you can't do this, you're not going to even ask for help. But let me just say this to you. If Moses, who was the mediator of that covenant, didn't make it in based on the works of the law, what makes you think you can do it? Not even Moses... <laughs> who was the mediator of that covenant, made it in by the works of the law. He died short of the promised land because he fouled up one time. One time. Because the law says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of the whole deal. And if I could just chase this rabbit because I feel like I want chase to. Chase the rabbit. Moses only ever asked God for two things. Let me see your glory and show me the promised land. He spent 40 years in Egyptian schools because he was the heir apparent of the throne of Ramesses and could have had Egypt without any suffering. But he leaves the palace one day. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost about now because this is, describes me a little bit. He left the palace, and when he left the palace and saw the condition God's people were in in slavery and servitude and weary and making bricks out of red clay of Adam's fallenness, what was in him surfaced. He was born to be a deliverer. That's what's happening to you. That's what's happening to me is we left the palace and realized I'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God than I would to enjoy the pleasures of missing the mark for a season because I, I esteem the reproach of Christ's greater riches because it's what it does in the long term. For me, success is not how many people know my name or how many books I've written or how many television stations I've been on. It's when I sit on my porch and hold my grandbabies in my arm and my children look at me and say, because of the message you preached, we have a future. We have a life. Come on. We love Jesus passionately. That's success to me. Mm. And so Moses said, let me see your glory. Show me the promised land. Then he kills an Egyptian and that buries that Egyptian in the sand. I think sometimes that Egyptian... That's buried in the in the sand, Pastor Travis, is our own desire to want to be a slave master. And mm -hmm. I think Moses had to kill that desire to want to rule over as a slave master and whoop God's people. I think sometimes we need to find that, that Egyptian <laughs> buried in the sand. But Moses leaves there, spends another 40 years. Let me, let me not talk too long here. 40 years in the backside of a desert, and then 40 years on a three, on a, on a, four, he spends 40 more years. He's 80 years old when he goes into the ministry. He spends the next 40 years with 3 million people on a camping trip, don't even want to go camping. They are not happy campers. <laughs> now, they're not just belly aching. It's hot out here. He stole my tent peg. I didn't, I, didn't get to, I didn't get to sing in church. Where's the bathroom? Where isn't it? How are we there yet? You know. Right. They had the audacity to get out of bed out in the morning when angels have just delivered their breakfast right. on the lawn manna. And they said, we loathe this light bread. These are the kind of people. The Bible said that this stuff had the taste of fresh oil and honeycomb. It was Krispy Kreme donuts delivered fresh on your lawn every morning, and it was healthy. And you, if, if you're going to complain Taste about that, see. somebody got to slap you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and so Moses gets, he says, God, I mean, God said, get up out the road, Moses. I'm going to kill them all. Yeah. Right. Moses said, God, if you kill them, you got to kill me too. I mean, he stood up as a mediator. Right, right. And so at the end of his wilderness journey, 
he fouls up and smites the rock because there's something very powerful about that. What he should have done was speak the rock about, speak the word concerning the rock was already smitten at the beginning of the wilderness journey. But the mistake of our generation is we're still trying to beat this out of God's people whenever we need to preach the word that the rock was already smitten and his smiting was our smiting and water will flow from the rock the same as it. He's already been smitten. He doesn't need to be smitten twice. Yeah. But just to make this as short as I can, Moses, God said to Moses, because you failed, I can't let you go into the promised land. So I'm going to let you see it from a distance. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to put my hand. There's a whole chapter in here on this about the man with the withered hand. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put my hand over the rock, and I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to let you see my hinder parts. Because in the old covenant, all you ever see is God's hinder parts. He's always walking away from you. But in the new covenant, there's no variableness, no turning of shadows. He's only ever asked God for two things. Let me see your glory. Show me the promised land. So he sees the behinder parts of God. He sees God's glory and he sees God's goodness pass before him. And he sees the promised land from a distance and he dies. God buries him in a place where nobody knows where he's at to this day. Holy Spirit spoke to me 25 years ago, said, I'm going to tell you where Moses is buried. I said, say on, Lord. He said, he's buried the same place I buried you. He's buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And if you can't find Moses, you can't find you. So quit looking for your old man. Quit looking for your old nature. Quit looking for all that. Because if the devil can find that, he can use it as condemnation against you. He'll bring the body of Moses as a weapon to form against you. And condemnation and guilt will come. And that is his weapon, is condemnation. And it's right. the weapon we put right back in the hand of the enemy every time we get in the pulpit for preaching the old covenant. But wait a minute. He, 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 he misses the promised land. God buries him. 1,500 years of human history passes, and this prayer request of Moses is haunting God. Let me see your glory. Yeah. Show me the promised land. Right. And one morning on the Mount of Transfiguration, God told Jacob, or said, go get Jacob's ladder. Moses and Elijah are about to re-enter the theater of human expression on a mountain called Transfiguration. And when they got on the Mount of Transfiguration, they looked in the face of Jesus Christ and realized the promised land is not a place. <laughs> it's a person. It's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Read Hebrews 4. That's what the promised land is. It's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then he realizes, wait a minute, glory is not spoken in the corner. It's found in the face of Jesus Christ. And Moses and Elijah are speaking to him of his decease, his exodus. They're saying, here's the leader of the real exodus, and I'm going to lead you into the real promised land because what I'm really promising you is rest in mm. the righteousness of God on the basis of a new covenant. And even who he takes up this mountain is significant. He takes Peter, James, and John. Peter's name means a rock. James' name means replace. Mm -hmm. And John's name means love or grace. So he's replacing the rock of the law with love and grace, even in who he's got on the mountain. Not accidents. And so he's, he begin, begins to speak to them of their decease. And so Moses did not make it. So if Moses didn't make it, and so all of a sudden, Peter jumps up, and he wants to preach mixture. Right. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Right. Let's build three tabernacles, build, yeah. one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That's the mistake. <laughs> Let's make this Jesus plus something. Jesus plus the rules. Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus this. Jesus. And the father interrupts and said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And in Hebrews, which is the whole book of Better Covenant, says, God, who at sundry times and times past spoke to us in through and by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Everything God has to say, he said it in the person of his Son. And he brings us into a righteousness that's based on a gift. And one other example, and then I'm going to throw it back to you again here, but I know I talk a lot here, but you get me going and everything connects. But I like to give this example, and 
You've probably seen a guy do this on TV, but I promise you where it came from is here. But I, when I'm preaching, I'll show the example of how under the old covenant, if you were, let's say you're a sinner, just for, uh-huh. you know, and so. But my wife told me that okay, before I got that's here. That's right, you're a sinner. Then I'll make her the high priest because no, that was the up anyway. No, I'm just, just kidding. kidding. She didn't do that. You need to get to God. And so the only way you could get to God was you had to bring a lamb without spot or blemish. Right. And then you would come to the high priest. Right. And you would lay your hands on the head of this lamb mm-hmm. and confess your sin. Mm-hmm. And then you would hand the lamb to the high priest. And the high priest would examine your lamb. He would look at it from the top to the bottom to see if this is a spotless lamb. Mm-hmm. And when I usually give this example, I usually have the sinner hand the lamb to the high priest and then step back a minute and have the high priest examine this lamb just like Pilate examined Jesus, just like Caiaphas examined him from top to bottom. And when I'm done, I said, now make a declaration. Is it a spotless lamb? And they would say, it's a spotless lamb. I said, but what I want you to see, though, is the sinner is never examined. Yeah. It's the lamb that's examined. Hallelujah. But what we do every Sunday morning is we examine the sinner and wonder why we can't stand in faith righteousness because we're still trying to do it on the basis of how spotless I am. And that is futile, my friend. Hallelujah. But when you start to examine the lamb and realize that he has perfected forever them that are sanctified, and we are sanctified on the basis of the offering of Jesus Christ once and for all, then my identity, and then you start to rest because you realize if God has, listen, it's not working to attain something. I've already got it. Yeah. And I, I'm not working to get it. I'm working because I've got it. Mm. I'm not even giving anymore to get. I'm giving because I am blessed. I've already got all, all favor. You know, I've been highly favored. And so, you know, I, I, as, we, as we see those things, that, that's, what, that's what slips then into what I call empowering grace because the moment you recognize who you are. And it takes people a while to come to faith in that because they're not, they're, they, they'll quote it, they'll say they're little, but they haven't really believed it yet. Mm. But there's, there's a moment it moves from information to revelation. Yep, that's it. And you receive it with meekness as the engrafted word of God. And then you said, I'm the righteousness of God. And if I'm the righteousness of God, then the, the just will live by faith. In other words, I'm living out of what I believe to be true about me. And then let me say this. I know I'm going too much here. Once you get the righteousness thing settled, then your peace comes. Mm. Your peace is starting. When I started to realize I was righteous, not on the basis of how good I am, but on the basis of a gift, Right. then my peace came. Mm. And then the third dimension of it hit me, joy. Righteousness, peace, joy, and joy located in the Holy Ghost. And my joy came back. And I'm having the time of my life. I'm having fun, fun, fun till daddy takes the T-bird away. <laughs> Amen. I'm enjoying That's the journey. book of Hiles, chapter 2, yeah, verse 9. <laughs> um, That's a long way to answer that one. Or no, questions. man. Are you, guys, are you guys getting blessed tonight? This is... I told you, you didn't know. Um, you, said, you just said something. There's a point that it, it, it transitions from information. The right. trans- the revelation, like it just happens. I've, I've recently seen that happen, um, and it happened to me. Uh, and I think that's, we've, we've got to continue the conversation about rest because that's such a, there's so many people struggling to have that moment. And, and I think um, helping people walk through the journey 
of discovering the concept of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Like, man, it really is finished. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that really takes some time. It's funny though, because once you figure it out, when you realize who you are in Christ, right. you stop wasting all of this energy trying to impress people yeah. and trying to be something you're not. And you can, you're finally free to just be you. Yeah. You're free to just be you. And uh, that is, I told you at, at dinner, I, you know, I talk to pastors all the time about this. Before, in ministry, here's how it works in, like in pastoral circles, right? You, you get value in affirmation based on whether or not you get invited to the green room. Yeah. Like, and then you find out that you got to the green room and then you found out there were three. The green room for the really important speakers, the green room for the donors, and then the green room for you. Yep. I'm not kidding. And, and, and then you start to measure value and worth by, did you get invited to the green room? And did I get VIP seating at the event? Did I get invited to the dinner, to the meal? And you know what's funny, Dr. Howes, is that this, in this season of my life, coming into the revelation of grace, I've got invited to the green room more than in my, ever in my entire life, and I could care less. Yep, that's when it happens. I don't care. And then you think, I and wish I, I was out there with the other yeah, guys in room go, three. Can I go back out here? <laughs> it's true. You really, it's because your value and your identity yeah. no longer comes yeah. from how people perceive you. Yeah. Because when I couldn't see myself in Christ, I wanted other people to see me as important. Something happens as liberating. I, I want to, there's something I want to get to before we, we, we run out of time that I think is really important when you have this conversation about the new covenant and grace. Um, and make sure you guys don't miss tomorrow and make sure if there's someone not sure if they're going to be in church, tell them to get a mask and get to church. Um, it's just going to be a good day. Um, grace. I feel like the enemy has tried really hard to build a false narrative around grace. Yeah really hard. Yeah. He's worked so hard to make us afraid of grace. Yeah. Um, so much so that even in preaching, you almost have to like preach grace with a warning label. Yeah. A disclaimer. Yeah. Like there's this disclaimer, like despite the fact scripture tells us the new covenant is based on grace and, you know, we're saved by grace and if by grace and not by works and a remnant chosen by grace. And so we're afraid to talk about it too much. You know, there's almost this ratio, you know, like in your preaching for every, you know, you can mention grace once every 10 minutes, you know, or something. And uh, because everyone has this thing, careful, don't talk, don't talk too much about grace because, you know, people use grace the wrong way or people take it the wrong way. So I'd like to pause for a moment and, and correct the error of thinking, the false narrative around the concept of grace. You and I have had this conversation multiple times. And you said something I think is really important. When you talk about grace, we're not we're we're not talking about uh, uh, we're talking about living a resurrected life, not releasing dead flesh. Right. And I think we have to have that talk. And I think we, if we could just take a few moments yeah. and eliminate the mystery around it. That, in my opinion, guys, the enemies worked hard. Yeah, because it's the antidote for sin. Because it's the antidote for sin. He's worked so hard at making us afraid to talk about it, yeah. making us afraid to think about it, making us afraid to read about it. We're not talking about um, releasing stinking flesh. We're right. talking about exactly. living a resurrected life. Exactly. 
Can you talk about that for a second? Well, I think the key thing I think about Lazarus, when he came to the tomb of Lazarus, it's a powerful picture to me. When he said, roll the stone away. When I think about the stone, I think yeah. about the stone of the law because right. it was the covenant of death. It's what give sin power. It's what give death a sting, but it's what we preach over American pulpits every week. But when he said, roll the stone away, I always say that. I use that same terminology you just used. We're not rolling the stone of the law away so that dead, stinking flesh can have a heyday. We're rolling the stone away to release the power of a resurrected life. Right. And then we are loosing them and letting them go from the grave clothes of religious bondage that brings them into a liberty that is a glorious liberty to live out of a spirit-governed life. So when I say that, I'm saying, you know, see, people say, well, you preach grace. It, that's And then they use all kinds of stuff like hyper grace, greasy grace, yada, yada. The truth of it is, is where sin abounds, grace will super. It's the Greek word, hooper, hyper. Hyper. So if you've got hyper sin, you need hyper grace because it's the antidote for it. Right. Because grace covers forgives, brings identity, but it also empowers. I am what I am by the grace of God. Right. But what it does is it gives you an environment of freedom for real heart transformation. Right. I've had more real, genuine, authentic change in my life in the climate of freedom than any other place because it is in that freedom that you find out there was a lot of stuff that I stopped doing under law that I really wasn't free from. Right. And so I look at people sometimes say, well, if I, you know, you're worried about people saying, what are you really worried? What, what is it that you really want to do that is, that, you know, that you're worried about is going to set people free? Because probably <laughs> people are pretty much doing what they want to anyway, most of the time. Right. If you pastored in a length of time, you figure out they are, you know. Right. You know, and yeah, the reality true. of it is, is that, you know, honestly, what happens is even in that climate of freedom, Hebrews 4 says this, for the word of God is quick and powerful. That doesn't mean it's fast. It means it's life-giving. That's an old English word. It's life-giving. It's powerful. It divides asunder between soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. And neither is there any creature which is not naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So what I say is simply this. The word that, that's sharp and powerful is not just any word. The context there in Hebrews 4 is enter into rest. So it's not just any word, it's the word that flows from rest. Because what right. happens is in the climate of freedom and rest where you're not feeling like I'm going to lose my salvation every time I turn around, it is a place where I can find a place to mature where God still loves me. Right. And I will say this, you know, I'm, uh, let, me, let me say it like this first. What happens in the climate of freedom that really causes people to cringe and back up is when you start preaching freedom, People will test the waters of freedom. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the pendulum swings a little bit too far because what's happening is the word that flows from rest is revealing what's in their heart. Mm. Not so they can act on it. Here's what I say to people. If you were not under law and you were free, what would you want to do? Well, probably whatever the first thing just popped in your mind was is <laughs> that's what you want to do. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting you act on it. Right. If it's something because... And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be really straight up. Yeah. Be straight if up. If you do try it, uh -huh. God won't leave you. Right. But your wife might. <laughs> then you got three house payments. You might end up in jail. You might be dead because there are repercussions to your actions. Right. 
and they rob you of a kingdom life, and God will love you while you're locked up in jail or on your dying. He, he's like Forrest Gump. He'll take you back when all you got is one dying breath. And I'm not suggesting <laughs> that you do those things. Right. Because right. there are consequences. That's right. What I am saying is, once your heart is revealed in the climate of rest, he says, then come boldly to the throne of grace. Not a throne of judgment. Come on. Come boldly to the throne of grace, where you will find a faithful high priest who has been touched with the feelings of all of your weaknesses, yet without sin, so that he's able to secure you or sustain you in the midst of that, and that you will find grace to help in the time of trouble. So what happens is in the climate of freedom, I started to realize there's some stuff in my heart I didn't know was in my heart. Right, right. But now that my heart was revealed, I said, okay, God, now you know, you know this is evidently in my heart, and I don't know why it's in my heart, but since you've exposed my heart, then I'm coming to the, I'm coming to the throne of grace. And I know you love me. I know I'm forgiven. I know, right. you know, uh, you know, but I, 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 but I know that you're not, I know that the, the, the goal is not just to get me to heaven when I die. The goal was for me to be your image bearer in the earth because real worship is not just standing with your hands lifted up. It's beholding him and then reflecting his glory in the earth. Mm. Let me just say this. Mm -hmm. In the first creation, God created the heavens and the earth. It was God's temple. It was his sanctuary. And every sanctuary throughout history, every religion puts the image of its God in its sanctuary. So God makes a man in his own image and then rests and said, this is my representative in the earth. This is my glory. And after the fall, we came short of the glory because we're not manifesting the image. And so God reaches down and grabs Jesus and says, now I'm going to bring about a new creation. I'm going to create a new and and the and his in his death burial and resurrection he became the firstborn of a brand new creation and in that new creation that new heaven and earth God put his image called Jesus and he's still reflecting his image out of us and we are called to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light mm. and what i started seeing is that this life change becomes so effortless that all of a sudden stuff I was struggling with no longer had power over me. First of all, because the law that was giving its strength was no longer giving its strength. And I found stuff leaving my life honestly, effortlessly that I'd struggled with for years mm. in a climate of rest and freedom because I trusted the Holy Spirit to do it. And that's all we're simply saying. See, all God's asking us to do is present your body as a living sacrifice. Yeah. And let him do the work in you. Yeah. And as he exposes things in your heart, then, you know, uh, please hear me clearly. I'm not saying it's all right to go right. act any way you want. There are some things that Paul gives us very clear guidelines, said, listen, these things are not becoming to saints. Or they which do such things are not inheriting the kingdom. I might say here as well, he's not saying that they that do such things are not going to heaven. He's saying they're not inheriting the kingdom because the kingdom's not just about going to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to the earth. Because we made the gospel about how do I get from here to there when it's about getting what's happening there to operate here. His kingdom come, his will being done in the earth as it is in heaven and being his reflecting in his image in the earth to bring about his kingdom, mm. that his kingdom will know no end. And even in that uniqueness of expressing the image of God as God puts it in you, there's nobody like you on the planet. Here's what gives you rest. I used to sit and watch preachers think, oh, my God, I wish I could preach like that. Right. And then find out when I'm up there preaching, you know, they're back there saying, God, I wish I could preach like that. And I'm thinking, 
They wish they could preach like I can. I wish I could preach like they can. Maybe I'll just get satisfied with who I am. Right. And then I realized holy doesn't mean you glow in the dark. Holy means other than, unique. In other words, there was pots, snuff dishes, and pans in the tabernacle of Moses that were holy because they were consecrated for that purpose. What makes you holy is when you're in your purpose. Mm. The angels of God are not standing. And holy does not mean behavior. The angels of God are not standing before God going, he behaves. He's wearing the right outfit. He's wearing he's, the right he's outfit. He's got a holy haircut. Yeah. Now, see, that's what we think holy is. No, no, holy means uniquely set apart and consecrated for a purpose. Yeah. You were uniquely set apart and consecrated for the purpose of being a vessel to bear his image in the earth. We should show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness. And then when people see that life, that life becomes the light. Mm. It is the life that becomes the light. Mm. I hope that makes sense. It does make sense. There is a, um, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about, you talked about um, God exposing your heart in this, in this realm of rest and freedom. And I, I think about being a parent, like you have to know you can go to your father wrestling with something, knowing your father won't leave you because you admitted it. You, you, you have to go and say, okay, this is what's going on in my heart. But I think what we used to teach was how ashamed your father is of you. So how do you go to a father that you're afraid is going to withdraw his love from you by being honest about what he already knows? And I think that is the, that is the evidence of grace or the concept of, of grace in our lives. And it's something we're still, we're still growing in. Dr. Howes, one last word. Um, well, let me just say this too. Uh, two years ago, um, there was a study done actually by a local, the, where I just graduated from, Richmond Graduate University. The counseling side of the school uh, conducted a, a very extensive study on the concept of legalism and grace and the absence of grace in somebody's life or the concept of grace and the effect it would have on their mental health. And it proved that those who were brought up in legalistic environments, uh, uh, it was clinically proven uh, they had more instances of depression more anxiety, more physical ailments, uh, more phobias and fear-based struggle uh, because they were always brought up in an environment of condemnation and never feeling like they could ever be good enough uh, or there would ever be enough. What would you say to somebody here tonight? This, this is a room of servants and leaders, people who are part of the house and the vision. Um, all of us are on a journey of understanding the new covenant. And I came to a place that many of us who are here tonight probably could remember. It was probably, well, it was last summer. And I stood up, I preached, a, I had let this message simmer in my soul for about six to seven months. And every Sunday it would spill out a little. Like after three months, it would just sort of spill out. But I wanted to steward the message. And I wanted to make sure that it was changing me first. And, and, and it was... It's a matter of integrity. So I was waiting. And then I said, well, we're going to do a series. We did a series called New Covenant, New Life. And how many of you remember that series? That was sort of like the, ta-da. You know, it was me coming out. Dear God, help us. <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> that was me really just being like, hey, I had an encounter with God. That all of my life I had never had. 
I mean, I've never, I mean, I'd never encountered grace or, or this concept of new covenant. It was just rocking my world. And I had preached it. And while I got to the end of it, and I stood up right here in this spot, and I said to Life Church International, I said, I was wrong. I said, I was wrong. I didn't know it. I did what I was taught, and I did the best I could. But I was wrong, and I taught you to strive. And I taught you, my, my intentions were good, Dr. Howe. And I asked them to forgive me. And we had, we had just entered a new journey together. And we're in a place today of, of I, I'm, see, I'm watching lives, in, many in this room just experience untold freedom. And, and, and the quote unquote, the breakthroughs that it, it felt like we spent 20 years fasting for. Suddenly you come to this revelation of finished work and breakthroughs are just manifesting in our lives. Things we're getting, what you just talked about, getting free from that it didn't feel like as hard as we worked at it. Something new is happening, but for those that might be here tonight, still wrestling sometimes. Still wrestling with the buried Egyptian in the sand, still wrestling with um, trying to get our head around this idea that God really is pleased right now because of, because of Jesus, not me. And that we have a father who says, come on, talk to me. What would you say to somebody here tonight who they're like, oh man, I hear Pastor Travis, I hear Dr. Hiles, I get it, I'll, I'll find, I'll read the books, but I don't know, I'm still, does God, I mean, does he really? I'm struggling to believe that. Does he really love me right now with my brokenness, my insecurities, my fears, my, my imperfections? What would you say to that person who lies awake at night still wondering if there really is no condemnation in Christ? I would say, first of all, again, you have to see him as a father. And perhaps if you didn't have a good earthly father, it would be hard for you to have maybe a good view of a good, good father. Mm. But just like you said, a father who says, listen, you know, I could crawl up in his lap and tell him I messed up. And he's not just out there to kill me. And I think that one of the things that helped me in the midst of this is walking through it, realizing, no, wait, okay, I have flaws and I have weaknesses and I have struggles. And I still do. But I'm still saved. That's the thing. See, I used to think I'm in and out of salvation. And you're not. In other words, I thought, well, if I die before I get to repent, you know. Yeah. If, if my salvation is that volatile. Right. Now I then I'm my own yeah. savior. Right. Hold on. But I, 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 I talked over you when you said that. Yeah. But it's so important. I want you to say it without me talking over you. Say that one more time. I said, I thought. I'm, if that's the case and it's about me, then I'm my own savior. And that's what I was going to say about it is if we could have saved ourselves, mm. he would have never come. Mm. He's the savior. He's the only one that could save us. That's why he deserves the glory mm. and the honor. And that, you know, it, that it is in fact a journey. And all of us are on a journey. I'm still learning. I mean, I'm a student. I mean, I mean, I try, you know, there's some stuff that I'm hearing from some streams that kind of, you know, shock me at times. And I'm thinking, but yet I don't want to be closed either because, mm -hmm. you know, the, I, all of us, 
if you've been in this journey any length of time, you will preach something you once fought. Because, you know, here's Saul of Tarsus who persecuted him. I mean, he said, I got letters to persecute the Christians. And then he found he got knocked to the ground. What's interesting even about that, let me just say this about him. He, 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 when he's knocked to the ground, he's, he's gets, got letters seeking to kill these Christians. Right. Two chapters before this, Peter's dealing with two people called Ananias and Sapphire. Right. Who fall down dead? I get asked this question a lot in, in Grace uh, conferences. Like, what about Ananias and Sapphire? Well, it's what Ananias and Sapphire represented. I think is really powerfully important because Ananias's name means grace, and Sapphire was the stone the law was written on. It was a blue pavement of blue sapphire on the Mount of Sinai, and what what I think Ananias and Sapphire represent is a mixture of law and grace. And it's one thing if you mix law and grace. And you do it accidentally, but when you conspire to hold back half the price, in other words, you refuse to preach that Jesus paid it all. It's not just causing death to you, it's causing death to everybody around us. And that's the problem, is it's producing death instead of life, and that's why people are miserable. But two chapters later, when Saul of Tarsus, who's seeking letters, he's a legalist. Mm-hmm. He's persecuting this way, but he's knocked to the ground, and he's blinded. What opens his eyes is a man named Ananias. Grace without a sapphire stone touches the eyes of an apostle and turns his life around. And I would have to say, in that case, say, God, give me an Ananias in my life to open my eyes, that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light. And the peace like a river begins to flow. There's something, it's almost like getting saved again when you realize it is not just grace you know, we preach grace to get you saved, and then once you're saved, buddy, you got to work for it. Right. you got to earn it. you got to keep it. But if you couldn't save yourself in the beginning, right. you can't save yourself. He's the Savior, He's and we got to trust him to do it. Amen. You know, and I would say this as well, even to leaders and pastors. This is something I, well, I won't say since we're recording. But I, I said to a pastor that was really struggling, you know, with, he said, man, I'm just really struggling. He said, I need you to, get, you know, tell me something, say something to me, <laughs> help me, walk me off this ledge, so to speak. I said, well, the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed seed in a field, and then he went to bed. That's what the, that's what the message Bible said. <laughs> so I said, sow the seed and go to bed. The power is in the seed. So you rest. If you work, God will rest. If you rest, God will work. Son. Did you guys enjoy Dr. Hiles tonight? Did you let him know you enjoy his ministry and his heart? Come on, let's honor him and the gift that God brought to the house tonight. Um, you may be seated. We're going to start part two now. I'm just kidding. We're going to let you go home. Just kidding. Um, I, I just want to encourage you guys. Uh, Dr. Hiles, he is, he's going to be with us tomorrow in both services, and we're going to talk some more about ide- identity. I'm just going to let him preach tomorrow. I've been in environments like this with Q&A with Dr. Hiles, and I've also seen him just, just deliver the word, and God has gifted him uniquely, as you can see. My prayer is that tonight, as you, as you heard him speak, you, you felt something in your spirit resonating. You felt like this, yeah. I remember when I first began to hear the language, it was new to me, and it was so new to me that I didn't completely understand it, but how many know when you hear truth, you know truth, even if you can't explain it? It was like that. I'd walk away and say, I don't know. 
I just felt the spirit stir me. I just knew it was God. Yeah. And um, so I want to encourage you guys tonight, if, if you haven't, if you'd like to dig deeper, I've read both of these books from the cover to cover, each of these books uh, from Lot of Grace. Incredible. I think this is like foundational. My advice is not like start here. For me, I started here, which is incredible. Yeah, and then um, the Unforced, Unforced Rhythms of Grace, again, just incredible. Um, Dr. Hiles and I worked through this book together. And he goes through all of these incredible miracles of Jesus and revelation of Christ through it. And I think um, they're at the table out, out back, right? I think Brittany, right, Brittany? They're at the table out back. And um, I think they're 15, uh, 15 bucks a piece. Uh, great investment in yourself, you guys. Um, let's stay on the journey together. Yep. Be patient with each other on the journey because we're still figuring it out too. It's a way we've never gone before. You know, uh, yeah, my, I had a father, my father in the faith, Bishop Quarter, he said this to me. I'll share this with all of you. Um, he called me probably, I don't know, honey, what was it? Six months ago, five months ago, I don't remember now. But he had a prophetic word for me. And the word was that God had chosen. He said, Travis, he said, listen to me. He said, God has chosen you. He's chosen Life Church, And he's placed you in one of the most religious hotspots in the world to deliver this message. He's placed you in a place that's full of religious spirits and religiosity. People are bound in all kinds of stuff. And he's called Life Church to declare a message of freedom. And here's what he said to me, Dr. Howes, I'll tell you what he said. He said, the path you're on is well-defined, but it is not well-worn. Don't, here's what he said. He said, don't look around for the crowd because there's not many people on the path. He said, stay on the path because this is the platform God's given this house to bring freedom to a whole lot of people that need to receive it. And so I invited you here tonight as leaders and uh, I thank you. Now I'm gonna ask you to take what you've learned tonight and share it. Let it resonate in your heart. Pass it along to those as you get your head around it, as you get language around this revelation of Jesus. And I pray that you walk out of here more free than you walked in here. I really do. Would you stand with me? I want to just speak a little life over you. Father, my prayer for the men and the women, the children that are in this room is that every single one of us would stay humble at the cross. That you would enable us with humility to embrace the revelation of the finished work of Jesus. The truth is, Lord God, there is a propensity within us to want to continue to try to strive and earn and prove something. But here you are inviting us to lay down our tools and our toys and embrace the finished work of Jesus. My prayer is that men and women who walked in here may be dealing with some condemnation and uncertainty about how you feel about the sons and the daughters. And they would know as they leave that they are loved. They are accepted in the beloved, created in the image of Almighty God. 
And we thank you tonight for grace. The grace that gives us the freedom to grow. Hallelujah. The grace that gives us the freedom to break through. The grace that gives us the permission to rest. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that tonight, according to Scripture, we are governed by your presence in our lives. Hallelujah. I pray that we would all leave here knowing we are called to be led of the Spirit of God. That you will never leave us or forsake us. Father, I bless the people tonight as they go and pray that as they go, people will see their lives and want what they've got. Bring us back together tomorrow morning. And you know what, Lord, I pray? I pray that tomorrow people would put their faith in Jesus. I pray that those who have already put their faith in Jesus would grow in their revelation of Christ. And I thank you that you've given us the ability to walk in total and complete victory. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Can we give Dr. Howes one more round of applause? And th- let's let him know we appreciate him coming out on a Saturday night. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. We love you very much.